Well, good morning. Welcome to our time of gathered worship as the community of Fellowship Church. A special welcome to you if this is one of your first times joining us or if you're worshiping with us online. We are glad that you are with us. We hope you'll be able to participate in worship today in whatever way makes sense in your faith journey. As we begin, I invite you to stand as you are able. And let's take a deep breath together. Taking a deep breath, releasing whatever it is that you are holding on to or is holding on to you, and recentering ourselves in the story of God and God's people is what our call to worship and opening song feels a little bit like. Perhaps hope and possibility and a firm footing in God's faithfulness over the ages is something that resonates with you this morning. Maybe you lean into that easily, and perhaps you don't. Maybe doubt, questions, dead ends, and shaky ground feels closer to your state of mind or life right now. Friends, in whatever space you are showing up, God welcomes us. And so may this opening scripture and music take root in our hearts, in our minds, and in our bodies. We will be using Psalm 90 and a classic hymn to guide our call to worship this morning. So we invite you to join us by singing the words that are on the screen and then adding your voice to the responsive prayer that will be woven in between the verses of the hymn. For the spoken words, I will speak the words that are in white and invite you to speak the words that are in orange. Let's sing and pray together. God, we live and move and have our being. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We praise and adore you, everlasting God. are creatures of dust who return to dust. In the morning, you wake us up into the thunder of life. In the evening, you sweep us away in the sleep of death. We are mere mortals in the world. Our days quickly pass and we fly away. We bow before you, everlasting God. because from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We need your guidance, everlasting God. A thousand ages in your sight, 
condemn us with just cause. Because of our sin, you could consume us with your anger, yet you surround us with compassion. Your unfailing love is all we need. We thank you, everlasting God. so that they may testify to your glory. We worship you, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord.
Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are the God who created us. You are the God who redeemed us. You are the God who restores us. You are the God in whom we are chosen and loved before the foundations of the world for everlasting communion with yourself. You command your steadfast love concerning us. You seek us when we have willingly drifted off. You rescue us when the mess is of our own making. You and you alone are worthy of our hope. And yet we confess that sometimes it is hard to hope that when confronted with the ache in the world and even the ache in our own souls and the tears that stream down our faces, tears that ask with every drop, where is your God? Our hearts begin to wander and we place our hope in lesser gods. We place our hope in ourselves and what we can do in our own strength. We place our hope in our comfort and wealth, fleeting as they are. We place our hope in other human beings who are as finite as us. We place our hope in politicians who are as sinful as us. We place our hope in political ideologies that are as confused as us. We even place our hope in your people who are, like us, mere pilgrims on the way. Forgive us for all the ways that we displace our hope and remind us of your steadfast, never-failing love and assure our souls that even as we wait for you with agony and tears, we will, like David, praise you again. Until then, O oh loving creator, redeemer, and restorer, help us to trust that you will never cease to command your steadfast love toward us, even when we can't see it yet or won't see it this side of eternity. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Trust in God, I will yet give thanks to 
I invite you to stand. It is because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection that we have peace with God and with one another. The peace of Christ be with you. I invite you, as you are comfortable, to share a sign of that peace with your neighbor. Good morning, Fellowship Church. My name is Nate Skipper, and I'm one of the pastors here where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you are new or if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We are glad that you are here. There are some connection cards if you'd like to make yourself known to us uh, at the back of the sanctuary and also at the Welcome Center uh, where you can uh, drop them off uh, at the Welcome Center or in the bowls at the back of the sanctuary. I'm not sure if you're like me, but I like the opportunity every once in a while to go out to eat. Does anybody else like to go out to eat and have somebody else cook and clean up the dishes? And sometimes, well, every time you have to pay for it, unfortunately. And I love the local restaurants in Holland. Big fan, all the local restaurants. Choose them over the chain restaurants. But occasionally, you know, you go to a chain restaurant. And one of the chain restaurants I've been to recently, well, not recently, but a long time ago, that I was taken by somebody that was like their favorite, this is the best restaurant ever, is the Cheesecake Factory. Anybody been to the Cheesecake Factory? Uh, you, 
I remember vividly the first time I went there. It's a beautiful spot, great building. The host or hostess, whatever, sat us pretty quickly, actually. We didn't have too long of a line. And then I sat down, and uh, not uh, surprising, uh, someone came, or our server came, with uh, what looked like a workbook of all of the architectural drawings for every cheesecake factory in the United States. The book was so big. And then I found out that when I opened it, it was actually the menu. And there was 50 pages of items at the Cheesecake Factory. Overwhelmed, it's tempting at a restaurant like that. Maybe you're like me that I often say, hey, waiter, what's the best thing on the menu? What would you recommend? And what do they say? Well, everything's good here. Uh, This fall season, it can feel like all of the things that are starting up at Fellowship Church feel like the menu at the Cheesecake Factory. We have so many different ways for you to belong, grow, and serve that we can't even mention them all in this brief snippet. But I'm going to tell you where the menu is so that maybe you can check it out yourself. There is uh, in the bulletin a couple QR codes that will take you to places that have a lot of information about uh, community nights and things that are happening uh, here. If you want to talk to a person about what all of these things, all these great opportunities for you to belong, grow, and serve are, uh, you can come on September 10. We have uh, our kickoff Sunday, and a ministry fair where a lot of these opportunities uh, will be there for you to talk to someone and, and learn a little bit more about each of them. There's also going to be a Bell new, uh, newsletter coming out this week that will describe all of them. I encourage you to check them out. And then this morning, uh, maybe most uh, obviously, uh, on your seat, you might have found an Immerse uh, card, which is an opportunity to, to dive into to, to God's Word for a, a season uh, this spring and fall. We'd love uh, to hear from you if you're intending to do that is sooner than later. Uh, so I'd encourage you to fill that out if you're still planning on doing that and drop it in at the Welcome Center. Whatever you choose, I would encourage you to try one of them or try a couple of them because they're great opportunities for us to grow in our faith, to be strengthened for the journey, uh, and, and great ways for us as a community to belong, grow, and serve together. Well, to play on the Cheesecake Factory metaphor, uh, we also have some two opportunity du jours for the day. <gasps> Those opportunities of the day are uh, immediately following this service, we're going to have a prayer walk uh, for our Kids Hope and Hand-to-Hand Ministry, which we'll meet right over there by the bell tower following the service and then make our way over to Lakewood School. And then later tonight, you can come uh, and sing your hearts out at a hymn sing uh, that will be followed by an ice cream social. We'd love to have you at either of those. But at this time, I would like to invite all of my friends that are a little bit younger in nature, that can be anybody that feels really young, uh, up front for our last kind of children's message for the summer. So join me right up here. I forgot my prop that I'm going to put on. It's right over here. But come on up, my friends. A little shorter in stature. I'm going to put on something. Hey, guys, come on up. Come on up. Yeah. I got to get my sweatshirt on so I can feel as comfortable as some of you feel, maybe. Hey, you can sit right here. You can sit by me or sit on the floor, wherever you want to sit, or you can just stand up. It's your birthday? That's not true. Come on, happy birthday. That's awesome. Maybe we should sing happy birthday afterwards. Hey, what am I wearing? Do you guys notice? It's not just a hooded sweatshirt, but it's a sweatshirt that says something. Does anybody know what it says? Hope College. Has anybody ever heard of Hope College? Yes, I have. Yes, you, where is Hope College? I actually don't know. You don't know where Hope College is? I've heard of it. It's by the train station. It's by the train station? That's true. Yeah, no where, does anybody know what town Hope College is in? Absolutely no idea. 
Yeah? Holland. Holland where do you live? Me too! Come on! It's right here in our own hometown. But what you... We do live very close, don't we? we uh, what you might not know about Hope College is, do you know what the symbol for Hope College is? No idea. Okay. It's a hook. It's a hook. It's actually not just a hook. It looks like a hook, though. That is a good thing. I have a picture of it. Oh, did you want to say, Drew? A flying Dutchman is the, the mascot, but they actually have a symbol up there, and it's an anchor, which is a peculiar thing. What's the connection between hope and an anchor, you think? We all need an anchor sometimes, don't we? We all want to squirrel around every once in a while. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, an anchor... An anchor, if you think about it in a boat, like that big anchor, like that big hook, it hooks into the ground. And what does it do? What is the point of an anchor? What does it hold? It keeps the boat there. It stops the boat. It keeps the boat in, in a place. But what's interesting that I find about an anchor is that a boat, when it's connected to the anchor, does the boat move around a little bit? Yeah, it does. The wind will blow it. And what happens if there's big waves? Does the whole boat kind of shake? But it's connected to an anchor. Should it shake at all? Well, hmm. So what does an anchor do then? It keeps the boat tethered to the ground so that the boat, even though it, it gets blown around by the wind, even though it gets shaken by the waves, it, it stays in, in one place relatively, it, it stays relatively close to the same place. It just goes in a circle. It can go in a circle. That's very, that's very true, Axel. Well, sometimes we need hope in our own lives because life gets kind of stormy. It gets kind of wavy. Sometimes things that are happening in our lives feel like everything is kind of shaken up. And maybe your parents have felt that a little bit more than you have in their lives and they've lived a little bit longer. But there's going to come times in your life where it feels like the waves are picking up, the wind is storming, but we have uh, an anchor whose name is Jesus, and the, the, the book of Hebrews says that, uh, that Jesus is the anchor of our souls. He keeps us grounded. He keeps us connected to him, and he will be with us no matter what is happening on the surface, no matter what storms we face. Jesus is with us uh, and, and, and clings to us even in those times as well, and that is our living hope, which we're going to hear about uh, from Pastor Ross in a little bit, unless you are three years old through first grade, then you're going to go with Miss Betsy. But before you do that, can I pray for you all real quick? God, thank you for my friends up here, for their love for you and their uh, earnest desire uh, to grow in their faith. We pray that that might be so. If they're staying with us here in the sanctuary or going with Miss Betsy, may you be uh, the anchor of our souls. In Christ's name, amen. Go in peace, my friends, to Miss Betsy or back to your chairs if you're uh, over a first grader. Come on. together of the Lord's Prayer.
Well, good morning. Good morning, church and friends and guests. The Lord be with you. Today we are turning our attention to the letters of Peter. We are in the second to last week of our summer journey through uh, the New Testament epistles, letters from home, where we're reading other people's mail. And today we turn our attention to the letters of Peter, who is, of course, the rambunctious disciple. He's the exciting one. He's the one that our Catholic friends would be quick to remind us that he's the first pope. And in our Reformed tradition, we celebrate the faith of this one called Peter as the faith on which Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Peter's a main character in our scriptures, of course. Throughout our scriptures, or throughout this summer series, excuse me, I've been giving myself the challenge of uh, naming one word for each book that I preach, because we're reading the entire book, and I try to pull out one word. The word of the day today for the letters of Peter is grief. Grief. That's the word that's caught my attention as I've studied his letters, and let me tell you a few reasons why. First of all, Grief is not, it's not a super common word in the scriptures, but it does appear in Peter's letters. Perhaps even more so, second, Peter uses the word suffering 
more than double than any other book in the Bible. Twice as many times he uses it. Grief and suffering go hand in hand. Third, Peter addresses his letter to the elect exiles or or resident aliens. He's writing to people who are living a not-at-home experience. And grief can often feel a little bit like exile when we're in it. Fourth, Peter is particularly concerned. You'll see this if you read the books this week ahead. He's concerned with the refiner's fire. He's interested in what God is up to even in the most trying of our trials. He's paying attention to the refiner's fire. And then last, of course, Peter is convinced that Jesus Christ is our living hope. He is the anchor that holds through all the storms of our life in this world. With this in mind, I invite you to hear some of the very words from this apostle Peter from the book that we love. We'll take a couple of verses from the beginning and the ending of 1 Peter, where it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the elect exiles of the dispersion. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In this, you also rejoice, even if now for a little while you may have to suffer the grief of various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it's not the most fun subject of all, admittedly, to be sure, but today I want to invite you to call to mind one of your own experiences of grief. Perhaps it's in the distant past. Perhaps you're in it right now. Maybe it's the empty seat right next to you right now or the doctor's note that you wish you never got and you're grieving. Maybe you've always wanted to belong somewhere, anywhere, but such a thing seems to be so elusive and you're grieving. Maybe you're hoping for new life in your family, but it hasn't happened yet and may not ever, and you're grieving. Maybe the pandemic exposed some political rifts in your own friends or family and things are just not the way they used to be anymore and you're grieving. Maybe something happened long, long ago, a kind of cut on your soul, and you can't let it go. It hurts forever, and you're grieving. In all of these experiences of grief, it's the modern scholars who have tried to map this thing that we're feeling and named various stages of it along the way. And at first glance, it looks to be so perfectly linear, this, then that, then that, then that. 
But the same scholars who name those things also acknowledge that it's almost never that way. It's always far messier than that. It's all intertwined and happening simultaneously. Reality is much more like that bottom line there where all the things are happening simultaneously as we go through our own journeys of grief. For our purposes today, however, I want to offer a little different diagram of grief that I think is particularly fitting to the message of Peter. It's a a flower with five different petals on it, but all the petals are held together by a kind of golden center, by a living hope, something that holds true no matter what we're feeling or experiencing in life. We'll consider the petals one bit at a time because that's the only way you can actually do it in the real world. So the first petal on the grief flower is called denial. It's often our first response to a grievous event that we might experience. We avoid it. We numb ourselves, or sometimes we might blame others for the thing that has happened. Denial is a kind of freeze mode where we tell ourselves that this thing, it didn't, it didn't really happen. When my colleague, Pastor Tierra, says, uh, I'm fine three times over, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. She's not fine. (laughs) In the Bible, in Genesis chapter three, the first truly sad story, the story of the first sin in our scriptures, we find Adam and Eve neck deep in denial. They had just eaten from the forbidden tree. They've eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they go on from that moment, first to hide and then to blame. They hide twice over. First, they hide by clothing themselves to hide their nakedness. And then they go and hide behind the bushes because they hear God walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And God is saying, where are you? And so they go out and hide from God behind the bushes. And then eventually... They're actually talking to God, but they begin to blame. And Adam says, uh, it's Eve's fault. She gave me the fruit. And Eve says, no, it was the serpent. It was the serpent who did it. It's the serpent's fault. And you can see it rather clearly. They're in denial. A tragic thing has happened. And they're in this first stage of grief. One of the, thing, the reasons I think it's really helpful to consider together this grief flower up there is because the truth is that if we can't talk about something, we're probably being dominated by it. Consider your own grief experience that you've called to mind and remember the old therapy adage that says, if you can't acknowledge it, you probably also can't heal from it. I have a book of humans that I like to look at every once in a while. It's a photo log of humans all over the world. And in this book, it becomes rather clear. Grief and even denial is a very, very common human experience. We all experience it throughout our days. So consider a few examples. In Warsaw, Poland, we find this young lady reflecting on her own instances of denial. She says, I was 19 I was struggling with my identity, so I ran away. I felt so grown up, but I was just a little kid covering up my eyes and pretending that no one really saw me. In Brazil, we find this bearded fellow also in denial. He says, I've got it all figured out. Just let time go by and try not to think about it too much. 
in your own life, friends, and whatever you are going through, denial might look like overworking or oversleeping or overeating or any other way that we might seek to avoid the thing that's happening in our life at the moment. But also when grief feels like exile, when it feels like an out-of-body, out-of-my-own-home experience, this is the very moment in which Peter chimes in to offer a word of hope to us Christians. And he says to all the exiles of the world, he says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. For in his great mercy, God is giving us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, even though now for a little while you may have to suffer the grief of many trials. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. It may not be a quick fix to the grief that we are experiencing, but it is a living hope, one for us, by Jesus the Christ who came into this world to take on our worst and to offer in its place his very best. Second thing we might experience, the second petal on this grief flower that we might experience in our disruptive events is anger. If we're not busy denying what's happened, we just might be busy hating it instead. Anger is a kind of fight mode it can be visceral, which is immediate, reactive, like rage, or it can be more meditative, which is like a steady boil, just ready to go boiling over, but it's maybe a little more hidden. My favorite definition of anger, however, is a rather simple formula. It is that anger is the sum of unmet expectations plus fear. Unmet expectations plus fear. Try that on in your various experiences of anger. Consider, for example, road rage. We all know that one, right? Someone cuts you off. Unmet expectation. And if that's all it was, you'd be like, oh, that happened. Okay. But if that happens and it's scary, or you're now worried that you're going to be late or something else, you add in fear, and now you're angry right? Unmet expectation plus fear, and all of a sudden you're angry. Or consider the instance of public slander. All of a sudden in a group like this one, someone calls out and says something negative about you in front of everyone else. That might just roll off your back if it didn't really matter, but, but add in fear, fear that your reputation is ruined or that people are going to now forever think differently about you. Now you're angry, probably. It's an unmet expectation plus a fear, Grief can often feel like anger because it too is an experience of an unmet expectation. This thing that happened shouldn't have happened. And fear, fear that my life will never be the same anymore. I'm not sure I'm going to recover from this. And we're angry. This kind of grief anger is in the Bible too. It happens in John chapter 11 where uh, two of Jesus' friends, Mary and Martha, are coming to him and they have asked for Jesus' help. Their brother, Lazarus, is sick and is dying, but Jesus delays for days before he goes to, to them. And when he finally arrives, Lazarus is already dead. Both Mary and Martha in that story end up saying the exact same thing to Jesus. They say, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They're angry. They're grieving. 
unmet expectation plus fear. We experience this too, and of course, it's all over in this human book, and I know it's in our congregation life right now too. We experience in our grief moments of anger, but here's a few examples to consider. In Johannesburg, South Africa, we find this guy who's angry. He says, the crime around here is out of control. Recently, one of my customers had his car broken into. I responded, what am I supposed to do? Let my customers be robbed? In New York City, we find this lady. She's smirking, but it's actually more of an angry smirk. She says, my father often called me dumb. Even when I'd bring home good grades, he would still call me dumb. Now I'm a teacher, and I've taught every math class in the high school curriculum. Take that, dad, she says. In your life, friends, anger might be red hot or stone cold. It might be an emotional explosion, or it might be a calculated apathy. But remember, at least part of the journey towards healing includes naming the thing that we are otherwise dominated by, and sometimes it's anger. And especially if anger is basically the sum of unmet expectations plus fear, notice how in these great instances of suffering and exile experience that Peter is writing into, he offers hope, not more fear. He says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. For in his great mercy, God is giving us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, even though now for a little while you may have to suffer the grief of various trials. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. That, friends, is not a dismissal of the raw feelings that we are feeling, nor is it a sweeping under the rug of what has really happened. It is instead an anchor of hope that holds true even in the midst of our most tumultuous feelings and experiences. It's a center that holds. After denial after anger, or maybe somehow mixed in throughout because it's always a messier journey journey than uh, it looks on paper. Somewhere mixed in there is depression or despair. At this stage in the journey, it all feels like too much. There's a persistent sadness or a desire to give up. When you're so sad that you don't want to get out of bed in the morning, when you can't imagine life after a grief event, when the ugly truth is that your best plan would be to stop trying altogether, that's depression or despair. In the Bible, you might be surprised to hear the names of the folks who in the depths of their despair turn to God and say that they would rather die than live. Their names are Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, and Jonah. Those are the ones who tell God they'd rather die than live. The list is longer of those who are in the pit of despair but aren't so explicit about it. Then it includes people like David and Hannah and possibly even Peter, the author of these books. Because remember, Peter denied Jesus three times and all four gospels tell us that he wept bitterly after he did that. He was in a dark place. 
Now, those ones, the ones that I've named, remember too, they are only the ones who have made themselves known, so much so that their story is recorded in the good book. Others, of course, have probably suffered even more silently. But these names that I've just named before you remember, the key difference for them in their journey through despair is that they turn to God in that moment of deep struggle, and they don't turn elsewhere. They don't try to go at it alone. Every one of them turns to God, and they find that God brings them comfort in the moment and also renewed purpose in life, which has me wondering about your grief journey right now. Where do you go when you're in the pit of despair? Where do you go with your despairing thoughts? Do you go Godward? Or do you go inward? Or do you go elsewhere with that? Of course, please do remember, grief is a very, very human journey. We're all on it probably sometime throughout our days. And so I'll give you a couple more examples of folks who are in it, and particularly the despairing moments. In Moscow, Russia, there's this guy, deeply sad. He says, I thought we loved each other. Then one morning over coffee in the kitchen, she said, I don't love you anymore. And it was two months straight of drinking vodka after that. In Bangladesh, we find this girl, possibly also depressed. She says, I always sat in the first row. I was the top of my class. But after sixth sixth grade, my mom said that we couldn't afford school anymore. Now I'm 17 and I can't be a seventh grader anymore. Friends, when we're grieving, And even when we're despairing, it's tempting to turn inward and to turn away from God. But please do notice that that is the precise opposite of what Peter is suggesting in his letters to all of the suffering ones. He says, instead, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. For in his great mercy, God is giving us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, even though now for a little while you may have to suffer the grief of many trials. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. This, friends, is not a quest for the silver lining, nor is it the baptizing of bad things that have happened, but it is a confidence in God above all else and in God's ability to get us through whatever. Now, if we're not in denial, if we're not angry, if we're not despairing or maybe caught up in all of these things simultaneously, we might also be bargaining. That's the next petal on the flower that we're exploring today. And at this stage, we encounter all the ifs of life. If only I did this. If only I try that. If, if, if. At this stage in the grief journey, we come across a lot of the common Christian cliches that we bring forth in the midst of hard times. Perhaps you've heard them before. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. When, when the going gets tough, notice how these are part of our bargaining journey through grief. We try to find the good in the midst of what feels so bad. We're bargaining. 
In the Bible, of course, there's stories of this too. Uh, Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 is bargaining with God. The bad news is that the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah has created a humanitarian crisis, an outcry, and that cry has got to the throne of God and God hears it. God is poised to do something about it. But Abraham has family in that particular town, and so he begins to bargain. He says, God, might you spare the city if there are 50 righteous persons there? What if there's 45, 40, 30, 20, 10? It's an ever so human endeavor, isn't it? When we face something terrible, we try to make it better by bargaining. Let's consider a few more examples of real people who are doing this same kind of thing in their lives. This one's kind of lighthearted. This, this fella standing in the middle, he's bewildered. He says, why God gave me only girls? <laughs> only God knows. Look at his face. It's like, really, God? You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> this one's less funny in Rome, Italy we find a lady also in grief and now bargaining. She says, if he really loved me, he'd leave me alone. If only I were strong enough. If only, if only. In your friend, in your life, friends, bargaining is any kind of deal that we strike to make the pain go away. But I want you to notice today that Peter is not offering us a bargain. He's offering us a living hope. Yes, grief is real, but hope is also real too. What I'm trying to do today with you is two things. I'm hoping to first humanize grief. We all experience it. When tragic things happen in our world, please do grieve. That's what we do. But also, in all of our grief experiences, remember hope. In Jesus' name, hope is always on offer, even in the hardest of times. And our scriptures tell us that though we grieve, of course we grieve, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Thanks be to God. The final stage in the grief cycle, no matter how messy it's been all along, the final stage eventually or somewhere along the way is acceptance. Unlike the other stages in which we freeze or fight or flee, this is where we finally face it. And and to be clear, acceptance does not mean that the thing that happened is okay. It just means that we're willing to try to move on. When you stop avoiding the triggering places that remind you of your grief event, maybe then you're moving towards acceptance. When you say, I'll try again, or I'll dare to love again. Or when a wounded person begins to become a wounded healer, maybe then we're moving towards acceptance. And here we must admit a hard truth. Not everything in this life, not everything in this life can be fixed. Some things just have to be faced and carried. In the Bible, for example, With Jesus, he's in the garden of Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26, and he's praying three times over. He's begging God, please take this cup from me. I don't want this thing to happen, but not my will. Yours be done. Not my will. Yours be done. 
I want this grievous thing to go away, but not my will, yours be done, oh God. Jesus finally accepts what is and he takes the next most faithful step forward. How about a few more human examples? Two more. In Paris, France, there's this lady grieving and she's moving toward acceptance. She says, he fell down on his birthday. He was standing on a ladder, then a coma. Now he's gone. After his death, I began to write in a journal. I was so sad. I'm still sad. And I also still write. Or in New York City, we have these two fellas moving toward acceptance. One of them says, I'm not his father, I'm his friend. I love his mother, and it was a package deal. There's grief in that story somewhere, but they're moving forward together. In your life, friends, acceptance is possible not because the thing that happened is okay, it's probably not okay. But hope is possible because God rose Jesus from the dead. And God is able and even eager to bring that same resurrection power to bear in your life and my life too. And so to all the hurting ones in the world, Peter says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. For in his great mercy, God is giving us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the God of all grace will that's a promise, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. So here's the challenge of the day, friends. Whatever grief experience you've had in mind throughout our time together, go and tell someone. First, go and tell God, of course. Second, go and tell someone else. Together, I think you'll find a living hope. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, in our response this morning, how is God speaking to your heart? We're told in the book of Revelation that in the new heaven and the new earth, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Let's stand and sing together of that hope.
Friends, if our conversation today about grief has stirred something in you and you want to do a little bit more, I commend an upcoming class on that very subject from one of our very own, Kate Meyer, a fellowshipian who has even recently written a book on grief. You can sign up for that. You can read all about it on that menu for the Cheesecake Factory, okay? (laughs) In the meantime, as you go from this place to go through whatever you're going through, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Go in peace. Amen.